listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development. Covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, alongside us, senior editor at Future Sox. Our guest today, Chris Lanuti of Sox in the Basement. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Lanuti, L-A-N-U-T-I. You can also follow Sox in the Basement at Sox in the Basement on Twitter. Chris, had to have you on. Opening day is this week, 2023 White Sox. Two years of Tony La Russa. Year one of Pedro Grifol. Now, it's important to mention this is year one of Pedro Grifol following two years of Tony Larusa. That being said, given everything that's occurred across the offseason and what you know about Pedro Grifol to this point, decent uh, first impression after spring training, what do you think, Chris? I like him. Like, you know, I enjoy listening to a guy talk about his team like he's not only in control of the team but he's going to hold the team accountable for mistakes I like the idea that he he has a meeting every seven to ten days and says okay this is what you're doing right and this is what we're going to work on I like that he is using his his uh oppressors to put pressure on the front office to get the the roster that he wants that's how I feel he's doing things and I think he's very forward and I think he knows that he's in a situation where this team needs to win back its fan base in a lot of ways. And he knows that he's walking in and he's in that honeymoon phase and he can kind of do what he wants to do. And he's he's kind of he's operating within that. I mean, I have positive feelings about a guy that anybody who talks about him across Major League Baseball, they've got nothing but high, you know, high accolades for him. In the end, though, he's got to win games. So my opinion could change in two months. You know, they go out and they sit around and they're 500 and at the end of May. I'm going to be like, this guy's, this guy's just as bad as the last guy. Like, I, I don't know what he's going to be like in game when he's not trying to do things for spring training purposes. But I have a lot of positive feelings right now. Like he's right now, it's in Pedro I trust until he proves otherwise. Sure. And I think that's fair. And Chris, uh, of course, hosting Socks in the Basement follow the White Sox your entire life, huge fan. It comes across in the way that you broadcast. And and here, of course, thanks for always being a willing and welcome guest to the Future Sox podcast. When it comes to Pedro Grifol and the manager situation, now, of course, on the Future Sox podcast, we focus on the organization and obviously love to cover prospects. I just think it's kind of undersold how important a manager is to communicate with the front office and understand what the depth of the farm system looks like and the plan, especially that the front office is putting in place, because you want to have lockstep in the front office to the manager's office onto the playing field. We didn't see that over the last couple of years, in my opinion. And when it comes to Pedro Grofull at the helm, you noticed he's bringing in his people as well, uh, highlighted by Mike Tozar, among others. Now, there's a blend of current and long-tenured White Sox employees on the staff, when there's congruity and consistency across the board, the organization is suddenly more healthy. How do you feel now that 
there's somebody like Pedro Grofol managing, and also it appears that the communication between the manager's office and the front office is going both ways. Yeah, well, that's that's a good thing to watch as well. I, I think that the two years of Tony, while there were so many negatives to having him there, I mean, this is like that's like your best window, and that was like the worst guy for the job. But but one of the things that I'm seeing after Tony left is that this manager gets a little bit more than what the manager before Tony got. I remember asking Rick Renteria with Rick Hahn next to him at a Sox Fest, you know, who makes the lineups? It was the most confusing answer I ever heard because he didn't want to admit that he didn't have control over things. And Rick didn't want to admit that he was basically telling him what to do. So there was this whole thing about Picasso and how we work together, but no, they couldn't answer the question. I feel like Pedro gets to do, you know, gets to run his team. I think the fact that he brought in guys that were from outside the organization is a really good thing. I don't know if that happens if Larusa wasn't such a debacle. I think Larusa being such a debacle with people actually asking Rick Hahn, you know, why are you still here? I remember he like gave some answer like, well, when I know I can't do the job anymore, I'll, I'll of course I would tell Jerry I can't do the job anymore. But he even felt pressure, I think, in this offseason, even if he won't let on to it very much. And I think what what happened with Tony LaRussa has also opened up more to more communication between GM and 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 coach and manager and the idea that the manager is going to get a little bit more leeway than a renteria. And yet that manager is not stepping on what the plan of the organization is. So this is probably at least, you know, sunshine, rainbows, spring training, who knows what we're saying in July, but this is probably the best it's been in terms of manager, front office, manager has a plan, front office is letting him do the plan, manager understands that the plan has to fit within what the the organization wants. That's the first time I think I really feel that in a long time with the White Sox. Yeah, I, you know, I feel like what this guy is saying makes sense, right? So we'll see if it works now. I, I think that, I think that's a positive, like compared to just all of the mixed messaging that we had the last like couple years, I think was just, oh, it was frustrating, but we're finally out. So, you know, Chris, you guys have talked about a lot of pressing storylines on your show, you know, just like over the last month, six weeks, whatever. You know, one of them was a WBC a little bit. You know, I think I shared your apprehension. I, I wasn't a huge fan of like watching it. Like I didn't really care. Like the Trout Otani thing at the end was pretty cool. But I was apprehensive about White Sox players playing in the WBC. And and I felt like you were a little bit similar. Has your opinion changed a little bit? Just like maybe after seeing Tim Anderson and Mankata and some of those guys and how they took to it. Because my mine has changed a little bit. Well, first off, I, I wanted you on Mankata in it. Like like the way that I approached it, and when we talked about it on Socks in the Basement, was that it was good for some, but not for all. Like at the beginning, I said, Yuan Mankata is so in his head. He's had uh, so many difficulties over the last few years. You hear people that are close to him or that talk to him on a regular basis, like Ozzie Guillen might have brought it up three, four times in the pre and post game last year about how this kid really wants to win. And it really frustrates him that he can't uh, perform in the way that he wants to perform. And he always has felt to me as a guy who has a lot of talent, but sometimes the problem is above the shoulders. And to be able to play with his countrymen and to be able to play outside the White Sox organization in competitive games, I felt from the beginning was something that could be good for him. I didn't know if it was going to work out. And the fact that it worked out as well as it did, and he played so well, I mean, he was like all WBC team. Like that's 
amazing. And then he gets back to spring training and you see him doing stuff right away in the lineup. And you're like, maybe you start to have hope for a guy that you know has a lot of talent. And then I'm not expecting to lead this team. Like, you know, can be a very big piece of this team if he plays good defense at third base and is just respectable with the batting average and starts hitting more extra base hits and just contributes a little bit more and isn't a hole in the lineup for long stretches of time. And maybe that isn't going to happen this year because it'll carry over. On the other hand, I hate putting pitchers out there because you, you never know. I, I, I still believe that in a competitive game, a pitcher is more likely to rear back and do something he wouldn't do in spring training. And so I'm a selfish fan. Like my number one goal is for the White Sox to win a championship. I want the White Sox to do well. I don't care what Team USA does if the White Sox do well. So I always am kind of selfish with that. I would have liked to seen Tim Anderson get to work with Elvis because Elvis hasn't played second base very often. And he never done it before. He's just learning it and he's got to learn his transition. And this is his partner. So I would have liked to have seen them together. The guy who I hated the WBC for was Luis Robert because Luis Robert still is more often than not putting the ball into the ground. His launch angle was terrible last year. And I think White Sox coaches wanted to get more time with him. And I think it would have been beneficial if he was with the team and not at the WBC. Overall, I think the WBC is great. And I, I think it was just a, huge thing for Tim Anderson and his brand as, as that continues to grow. And hopefully it's nothing but positive things from him because then we'll get positive results on the field this year and there won't be as many off-field distractions. So there's some good to the WBC. I still maintain that. I, I, I think I'm probably still in the same place though because I, I like the Moncada thing. I would have liked to have seen Luis Robert uh, with his hitting coaches because he has stuff to work on. We need him to be the, the prince that was promised this year and start performing like that and not see any major injury that takes him you know, off the field for a, a long period of time. Chris, you brought up Tim Anderson, and I want to stick right there because we're monitoring Colson Montgomery very closely, and we expect him to perform in Birmingham this season. If you could perform in Birmingham, it means you're pretty close, and the White Sox speak very highly about the skill set of Colson Montgomery. Given what we know about Tim Anderson – considering he has actual performance at the major league level uh, documented, as well as what we know what happened last year, as you alluded to, going into 2023, what are your expectations for Tim Anderson and how does that all impact the future of the shortstop position regarding Colson Montgomery as well? Well, I expect Tim Anderson to be really good this year. I, I I like to look back on last year and hope that that's an aberration and we're going to get we're going to get a guy who's going to sit up at the top of the order and make things happen. He's going to be the engine that makes the car go. He's going to be, uh, you know, in big moments, he's going to be coming through. I think we saw that in the WBC. He played really well. He played himself onto that team. Like he wasn't the original second baseman on that team, and he he played himself onto that team, and it made himself a starter essentially. I mean, that's the guy that I'm expecting to see this year. But on the other hand, I'm a White Sox fan who understands that in two years he can go someplace else, and he's going to get paid. His brand continues to grow, and he's going to get paid. And guys that pay play his position at a high level get an awful lot of money. And I haven't seen this group do anything bigger. Then five years and $75 million for Andrew Benintendi. I've never seen the big monster deal. And he's going to get some big money. And so Colson Montgomery is really important. Like, that's why I like Future Sox covering Colson Montgomery, because I keep thinking to myself, well, he's the shortstop in three years. No matter how much you love Tim Anderson, there's a lot of me that says, thank goodness we have Colson Montgomery, because I don't know how long we're going to have him. Plus, you know, players eventually age out. So at some point, 
there'll be another shortstop there. There'll be another center fielder at some point. There'll be another something in your fandom at every position. So that's not saying I want to get rid of Tim Anderson, but I, I am really excited about the fact that we have a good prospect that people all around baseball really like and think is going to be a good player sitting in our system at a keystone position that you want to be good at and get offensive production out of. And and so, like, I'm, I'm excited about him. I'm not in a hurry to see him, though, because let's be honest, uh, T.A. is going to be the shortstop for the next couple of years. Chris, I think it's really tough to talk about the 23 team without talking about the 2022 team, even though, like, I, I think we've all kind of wanted to banish, like, that team from our memory. But I think, like, even going into last year, like, they made the A.J. Pollock move, and I kind of thought, like, okay, like, this was last minute, but you know, I thought it was one of the best rosters in the American League, man. Like, I was very, look, not with the Tony LaRusa hire, but I kind of thought they had enough talent to overcome. So obviously there's, there's some changes. Jose Abreu's gone. You know, we knew they weren't going to spend a ton of money, but they did spend some. So, you know, just the moves this off season, did they do enough for you? And I guess like, what was your favorite edition of the few that, you know, they made? Well, I know that I, I wanted more than what we got. Like I felt like this team should be, as I think most White Sox fans believe, this team should be up there with the big boys and be willing to go out and make a massive deal to bring in high-end talent. And that I would have been, like, if it were up to me, there were, I would have probably attacked a right field because I didn't I didn't have a lot of faith in in Oscar Colas. Like, I, I, I looked at him, and we talked about it on Sox in the Basement, like, high strikeout rate. You've come out on the show and talked about it. Like, we don't know what he's going to be. It would be great if you had something that, you know, you were more excited about. But now I see him in spring training, and I say, maybe they did do enough because he looks really good. So, like, like whenever I talk about roster building, at least on the show, I'll sit there and say, look, I can have my opinions about what I want the, the White Sox to do. I could have wanted them to go out and get a better starting pitcher than Mike Clevenger, even before the Mike Clevenger troubles. If I, I I wanted something that was at a higher level and wanted them to spend more money than what they spent on that position because they need to be strong in the rotation. This is what they did, though. And so what I always try to say is, okay, general managers have to work within what their owner has and how their owner spends. Rick Hahn knows more about how his owner deals with his money than pretty much any other general manager in baseball because he's been in the organization for two decades. So at this point, it's up to whether or not the general manager spends the money and uses the resources correctly. And so it, I hope that they did enough. I want to believe that they did enough. I see Yasmani Grandal looking better. I see Yohan Moncada again at the WBC coming out of that and getting ready to play and you go, maybe. But hope always springs eternal in spring. So if we get to midway through the year and this team has obvious holes and things are not working, the first thing you have to do is shine the spotlight on the front office and say, okay, why didn't you allocate your resources better? Because you're the, you're the guy that made the team. You know, Ken and, and Rick are the guys making the team and putting it together so Pedro can coach it. So in the end, it really comes down to, did they do enough? We'll see. I'm always willing to give somebody a chance they didn't do exactly what I would have done. I would have spent a little bit more, and I might have addressed these issues with different personnel, but I did love Andrew Benintendi. I, I asked for that on the show. I was like, this is the guy that I would go out and put, and i put him in left field, and I would, I would stick him up towards the top of your order, and you would solve a problem, and I, I that that's a guy that we earmarked. I, I said it flat out, and then, like, I want to say two days after we did a show where I broke down why this was the guy to get, they announced the signing. 
So that's probably my favorite one because I wanted it and I got it. Well, so, you know, like a lot of people talk about the Asmani Grandal thing and how it's like a bad contract or whatever, right? And like, I, I you know, I disagree because I think the first two years were good and we'll see here and it's $70 million. I think if you're the White Sox and you're not spending $300 million, like you should sign contracts like Yasmani Grandal's and Andrew Benintendi's every offseason. You can add players like that. So that's why like, I liked Benintendi. I'm not going to hold it like against him that it's the their biggest deal. Like that's not his problem, right? No, not at all. So... I wanted them to have lefty bats in the corners. It seems that they're going to do so. We, you know, when Rick Hahn mentioned Oscar Colas in November, my antenna went up a little because he doesn't usually do that. So it's like, okay, it seems like this guy is going to be there. You know, you and I have talked about him a lot on the show. So just to follow up a little bit, obviously, like it's spring training and spring training stats. Like he looks the part. What would you like to see from uh, Oscar Colas this year? And I guess like seeing him live on television, has it, maybe changed your thought process at all, like in regards to them just going with him? I have to have reasonable expectations for a rookie. And I think everybody's got to do that. Even if a rookie comes out and starts playing really well at the beginning of the year, he's going to run into a point when teams are going to figure him out. They're going to watch films and they're going to adjust to him. And then he's going to have to adjust back. So what I want to see from him is not like a specific number. I want to see a guy that at the end of the year, I go, that was a guy who was able to adjust back. When he had problems or when he got into a funk, first, the team gave him an opportunity, and secondly, he found a way to get out of the funk. If he plays uh, good defense out in the outfield and he's the everyday guy and it's not turning into a platoon situation because he's struggling or he's having issues, if he gets through the year and you're like, yeah, that's our right fielder, that's what I'm happy about. I don't expect him to go out there and hit 330 home runs. That, that's that's crazy talk. And no, you know, if, if he wins rookie of the year, great. But I, I don't expect that. What I just want is a guy that goes out and he's productive and that he's able to make adjustments in his first year in the majors. Because if he does that, we get to the end of the year and we're not even mentioning him anymore as a question. We're just saying, well, and then Colas is in in right field. What else are we going to address? How else do we get better? Because we don't need to worry about that anymore. That's what would make me happy with him. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think that's very well said, and I'm with you. I think you got to take a level headed approach to evaluating Oscar Colossus 2023, and I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I want to talk to you about the rotation and the future of the rotation because. This season is important for many ways. Obviously, the White Sox want to compete, but a lot of players are on expiring deals or coming up on an expiring contract. 
a lot of it has to do with the starting rotation. There's uncertainty even this year with the depth, although it does help that Mike Clevenger was cleared and the White Sox decided that it, you know they need him to pitch for their team, so they're going to keep him on the roster, at least to this point. The depth, Davis Martin, Sean Burke, you know, those are the names that continue to pop up. However, I want to look ahead because there's a, a lot of young prospects in the system, but I'm just thinking about the way the White Sox want to allocate their money to some of these players or maybe even into the market, considering, you know, Dylan Cease is going to command. I mean, he's commanding a lot in arbitration to this point, but once he's up for a contract, he's going to want some money. Lucas Giolito is going to maximize every dollar he absolutely can. We don't know what the future holds for Michael Kopech. Lance Lynn is aging and getting closer to finishing up his deal with the White Sox. What do you foresee? the future of the Chicago White Sox starting rotation to look like considering how the budget is sort of stuck right now where it is with a lot of these expiring deals. We did a show on Sox in the Basement early on in the offseason, Mike, and where where I said, okay, there's two different directions they can go in. If if now we know that it's going to be the same front office, they're going out, they're going to get it. They're going to, they were just bringing in a, a Pedro and they were like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And we we sat there and said, okay, now they have to make a decision as to how they're going to approach this year because it has impact on future years. And the thing that we pointed out was when you get to 2025, there's a lot of money that comes off the books. So if you don't like this group or this group doesn't perform, you do have the ability to start making changes rapidly when you get to 2025. You can you can start dumping players off of this team and you can start in a different direction. You can keep the ones you like. You can extend those that you want to keep. There's there's a lot of flexibility there. 23 was probably the best window that was left. I like I, I think we predicted like 24 would probably be a down year that you're going to because I don't think they can sign Lucas Giolito if he does what he's supposed to do, right? Like what would you rather have? Like he he p- pitches poorly and then he's, he's signable for this team? No, you want him to do well. And if he does well, it's going to go out and get paid. And again, it's going to be one of those contracts that this ownership group has never paid out. It's going to be one of those long-term big money, you know, with more zeros than Jerry's comfortable giving out. So, so you're going to see a real quick flip of this rotation. I mean, Clevenger probably is only a one-year deal. The way that that deal is structured, it makes sense for him if he's got any value to go back out into the market after the year is over. Uh, Giolito probably leaves at the end of the year. Lance Lynn's getting to the end of his contract. Michael Kopech hasn't done anything yet to tell me that he's a top-end starter. There's flashes, but the guy, what has he done yet that makes you feel really confident in him? And then you've just got Dylan Cease sitting there, who's a really good pitcher, but he can't he can't pitch every day. He can only go one every five. So that's where I become very concerned. It's one of the reasons why I bring James on to talk about what's going on in the in the in the minor leagues, you know, and I and I listen to future Sox because I don't know exactly what we have down there. I know that there's going to be an awful lot of uh, of turnover, I think, in that staff, though, over the next year or two. And when you get to 25, you get a lot more roster flexibility. So it'll be interesting to see what the plan is. Like, this is the year they really need to make noise because next year you're going to have to spend money or hope you have something that's ready to come up and take over a spot and be good in that rotation. Or, you know, or, or you're going to have to go out and sign somebody and, and piecemeal it together to make a run in, in 24. Like, I keep feeling like 24 is going to be this little dip before they get to 25, and they can go and they can maybe move some things around and change the makeup of the team because they get more flexibility. So, yeah, and this year is really important if you're a White Sox fan because I think you got a better chance this year of going deep 
in the postseason than maybe next year because of the way that the roster looks in the future. Chris, what do you what do you think about the the current bullpen configuration? Do you think this team should have a closer while Liam Hendricks is out, or you know, should they just do this like committee approach? And what do you actually think they're going to do? Because I I don't really know if Pedro Grafal has been totally honest about his plan. Well, I I think he does. I think. I think he just wants to use guys where he wants to use them and he doesn't want to name a closer. It's, it's, you know, like I, I, I was once in a, in a friend's wedding and very close to like when everything was going on, I remember asking him, who's the best man? Like who's running your, who's running your, your, your bachelor party? Like who's giving the speech? He's like, I, I didn't want to name one because I didn't want to make anybody else upset. I was like, mm-hmm. well, that's not going to work out very well. And like, like somebody's got to be the guy. Look, you can you can name a closer and then still use him in a high leverage situation in the eighth, right? Like that's weird to me. Like name Reynaldo Lopez the closer and go with it. That's what that that's what I would do if it were me. Like, I would say that's the guy. I'd send him out there and I'd make him be the closer. I don't know if the idea is we don't want to name a closer because we don't want to put pressure on somebody. Like maybe they talk to Raylo and they get the, and he just gets a feeling like, well, if I name him the closer, will he be able to handle that 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 title on his on his back? Right. So if I just don't name one, then then I can use him however I want to. I think you're going to see him use somebody more often than not. He just may not call the person the closer for a while. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna go out there and just use guys in the positions that he wants to use them without using the title, and then eventually we're gonna be sitting there going, "Well, that guy's obviously the closer because that's the guy that comes in in the ninth inning when he needs to lock things down more often than not." And every once in a while, you see him use him in the seventh or eighth because he thinks that that's the high leverage situation. You know, I I, I don't see what the problem is with naming a closer. He seems to want to avoid it. But it, there wouldn't be anything wrong with saying this guy is going to be my guy in the back inning. We're going to start with him, and if and if we feel like somebody else is better, that's not a that's not a thing on him. We're just going to use other people, and then you know I I think I think it's weird that he won't name one. I guess that's that's what I'm getting yeah. to here. A very long way. I think it's weird that he won't name one. And I think we're just going to see it, and we're going to be like, oh yeah, that's the closer because that's how he uses his bullpen. See, I do think that's the guy, though. Like I think you like Lopez is the guy I would use. I would just like keep Graveman and Kelly in setup roles. I think that's helpful. And then, you know, you just have Lopez do the ninth inning thing. You know, something I'm curious about is like, we haven't seen Ethan Katz like run a bullpen without Tony LaRusa also in the dugout. Right. And I kind of feel like Ethan Katz was sold as this like modern age pitching coach where they're going to use these guys as out getters. And if your highest leverage spots, the seventh, that's when you're going to use your best guy. Right. But then as soon as Tony LaRusa comes in, like the man that invented the modern bullpen, these guys are all in single inning roles. You saw it with Garrett Crochet. You saw it with Michael Kopech. You hear it from the front office. And this is like the lack of synergy that we talked about, right? Like, oh, Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet are going to be these weapons that can go two and a third. But then you have Tony LaRusa, who's like, nope, seventh inning guy, eighth inning guy, ninth inning guy. So that's one of the things I'm looking at is to just see if it's any different and see if we can link it to cats or or whether or not it's just like a pedro Grafol operation essentially well i i first of all the reason i love lopez is i i always get hung up on it but i love guys that keep guys off base he keeps guys off base kendall graveman puts more too many guys on his his walks and hits per innings pitch is too high for a guy that's supposed to come in and lock it down in a high pressure situation with everybody cheering like he just he puts on too many guys he's not a bad pitcher he's just in my mind not a closer and it, it, you know, yes, he did it before. But if you look at the back of his baseball card, his success was not long term over multiple years being able to keep guys off base 
and do things in high leverage situations. More often than not, he makes mistakes, and I think he'll frustrate you if he's at the end of a game. What I would love to see the White Sox do with their bullpen is what a lot of other ball clubs that are successful do, and that's maybe have a guy that you're not afraid to let go two innings in a high leverage situation. I, I think when you're talking there, I'm thinking of Michael King, who pitches for the Yankees, and how he was used last year until he got injured. And the way that he would come in, like, it'd be like, okay, it's a big moment and we're going to put him in, in like the seventh and he's going to pitch the seventh and the eighth because we know that he can come in and he can do more than one inning or we, we're not, we're not beholden to keeping him for one. And this is the guy that we throw in there when we know we're going through the heart of the order and the starting pitcher is gassed and we're not ready yet to get to the closer. And I don't know who fills that role, but that, that would be something I, I wish that the Sox had and utilized more often in their bullpen. It's opening day week. We're talking White Sox baseball. This is the part where we're supposed to have fun. Let the optimism reign. Are you optimistic, Chris, about the 2023 White Sox? Do you think this team can win a division, make a run of the World Series? Yes. I think that the I think the White Sox should win the AL Central. I'm very optimistic about it. Uh, you know, hope springs eternal in spring, but I'm seeing all the things that I said at the beginning that I wanted to see. So the fact that I'm seeing it, I'd be... I, you know, I'd be a, I'd be an idiot if I sat there now and said, oh, I, I don't believe everything that pretty not everything. You're never going to get everything. But an awful lot of what I said I needed to see this spring. I'm seeing from the team. I'm seeing from certain players. I'm seeing from the coaching staff. And it makes me feel very positive about the team. You know, uh, you, when they get into the postseason, the problem is, is that they haven't been built as strongly as some of the other teams that I'm expecting to see in the postseason. So I see him as a division champion who then has a puncher's chance to try to win a World Series. And maybe that's all you need. That's how that that's how the organization really works. It's, you know, get in there. And if we can get in there, maybe we win. Maybe we catch lightning in a bottle. We caught lightning in a bottle in 05. Think about all the think about all the key moments in that run that would have been reversed by replay. <laughs> like I mean, right before Canerco hits the home run, the ball hits Jermaine Dye's bat, and they say that it hit him, and it loads up the bases. Well, you know the Przinsky, the the Przinsky incident, several Przinsky incidents. To be to be honest with you, with that there were the, you know it, you have to catch lightning in a bottle, and things have to fall your way if you're a White Sox fan when you get to the postseason. So I don't even look at that. We'll get there, and I'll be like, all right, let's just see what they do. That's kind of how I look at it. That's how I looked at it the last couple times that they've been in the postseason, the very few fleeting times that I've seen them in the last 20 years in the postseason. Uh, but but no, I'm I'm very positive about what they're going to do. I'm looking forward to opening day. Uh, yeah, I would imagine I will see you, Mike, uh, bounding around uh, Cork and Carey at the park. I know that uh, I want to say the score is going to be over there. I got a, I got a text the other day from uh, from the, the folks over there. They said, are you going to come by too? I think it's going to be a big giant party, and I can't wait to get out with White Sox fans. Do you have any opening day? traditions i know you're going to be busy this year but what is it about opening day that makes it special for you you know i i was never one of those guys that said i have to be at every opening day i love going but it's not something where it's like i gotta be there like i know there are people that have like a tradition that they have to be at opening day every year and it's not always been like my 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 the most important thing to me i i've gone to the big opening days like i was at the first game ever in that ballpark I knew that I wanted to go to that. Um, I, you know, if it's a a big season, I'm there at, at, at opening day. I'll be at this one again because I feel really good about this team. In years when I'm not sure what they are, I think they're terrible. I, it's not important to me to make it out there for the first game. So I, I really have not been like every opening day. I just that's not my thing. But I I don't think I change anything about what I do when I go to opening day. 
Um, I, 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 lately my thing has been, I just have the same kind of pregame routine. We go over to our sponsor's place up the street and we, we hang out there and then we go over and we watch the game and, uh, you know, we walk out and if they win, we're like, we're taking it all. And if they, if they lose, we're like, ah, it's just one game. We'll see what they do tomorrow. So I, I think for me, opening day is just fun because you know, baseball's back. That's what, how I take opening day. It's just one game. There's a lot of pageantry, but in the end, after that's all done, baseball's back and it's a long season. Yeah, Mike, I, you know, I've always kind of thought the second game was the veteran move. Like, you don't pay the opening day prices. You go to the second game with, like, 12,000 friends. You know, it's it's, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. For, there's, yeah. A, there's a walk-off into empty bleachers like that. Game, yeah. And it's freezing. It's, like, 32 degrees out there. And and no, you could hear people having conversations on the TV. That That's yeah. the game to be at. Yeah. So, I guess, like, regardless of, like, who's in the lineup, I mean, it does seem like they're going to go – Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, Andrew Benatendi, which I think is a little bit strange. But, you know, Pedro Grifol has been suggesting just like the idea of like more of a set lineup where it's not just different guys in different spots every day. And I don't really think the bench is going to play that often. What are your thoughts on just like having a set lineup that looks pretty similar every day and just like Pedro suggesting that that's the route he's probably going to go? You know, I like consistency in a lineup because I think it gives guys a chance to know what they do, what they are, and and what's expected of them. It, it, I think, you know, even though he would have his crazy days when, you know, I, I always said Sunday was like crazy Ozzy day. When Ozzy Gian ran a team, he, he had a lot of guys that basically played in the same spot in the lineup, and it was a set lineup. He, he, he said, okay, this is what we're going to do, and uh, this is what your role is. Tadahito, you're the number two. Uh, you know, Scott, you're you're leading off. Uh, this is where we're putting Paul. When when Frank Thomas was there at the beginning of the year, he did he put him in the three spot. And actually, I want to say after Frank got hurt, he just basically put Carl Everett in that spot. He didn't move the rest of his lineup around. You know, consistency in a lineup from time to time is is a good thing for players. They know what's expected of them, and they know what their role is. I mean, if you're the two hitter, you know what your role is on the team. If you're the one hitter, you know what's expected of you at least the first time through the lineup. You're supposed to, you know, Tim doesn't really do it. He he swings at at everything, and 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 he probably doesn't take as many pitches as you want at the top of the order for the guys to be able to get a look at what that pitcher has that day. But he performs so well, you you accept it and you move on. So. Uh, you know, I I like his his idea of this is their role and this is where you're going to play and this is where you're going to hit and more often than not that's what we're going to do because I just watched two years of the other guy just doing the most random things with his order and it made no sense to me and he just he was trying to prove he was smarter than everybody else and it was a detriment to his team nobody knew where they were at there were these strange lineups that made no sense in big situations all of a sudden you got the wrong guy coming up to the plate. And, and it, it like I'm very excited about the idea that I have a manager who says this is the talent that I've been given. And until somebody shows me otherwise, this is what I'm marching out every day as my base lineup. I like it. All right, Chris, it took 35 minutes, but we're finally here. So going along with this lineup discussion, you know, I got to ask you about the bench and the bench configuration. So like full disclosure for all of the listeners, we're recording Sunday afternoon, just afternoon. This podcast will drop Monday morning. So look, like some of this stuff could have happened by now. What is your ideal, I guess, bench for this team? It seems like there's a lot of options. There's a lot of rumblings that this could, you know, potentially be the end of a Leary Garcia. You know, obviously, Sebi Zavala is on the team. That gives him three spots to play with. What are your thoughts? Well, and full disclosure, you started asking this question. I immediately checked Twitter to see if something had come out. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> you know, I mean, look, I, I, I want to first preface this discussion by saying clearly that I don't have anything against Larry Garcia. Larry Garcia is a viable 26 man on some rosters. He, he's a guy who sits right on that cusp of being like a, a major league bench piece or a guy in AAA who's available in case there was an injury. That's, that's what he is. That's his skill level. He's had his moments, but he wasn't worth the money he was given. And that's probably where all my ire comes from. My ire is more towards the front office for just a stupid move because there's so many guys that can do what he does. And you see it here in spring training. There's plenty of guys out there right now at camp who are doing, who can do exactly what he does. And Alberto just happens to be the guy doing it better. And I think listening to Pedro's comments about, I don't need a backup shortstop because my backup shortstop is starting at second base already. And that, that was an indication to me that Hanser Alberto is the guy he wants to bring. And he's, he's made other comments as well. I've read that he, that that's the guy he wants to bring. He seems to talk a lot about Billy Hamilton. We had, uh, we had James Fegan on the show recently from the athletic, and he kind of broke down uh, that, that Pedro wants guys that are really good at certain things. Like if you're elite at something, he likes that because he's not expecting you to go out there and play four days a week. He's not, he, he wants certain guys that are specialists at things and he sees Hamilton and Alberto as specialists in certain things that he wants coming off of his bench. And so he's leaning towards them. I'm encouraged by hearing that, you know, that coming out of coming out of White Sox, just their media. You know, you, you know, you start hearing that you, Chuck Garfine saying it, that I believe that, that he's probably not around, right? Like when, 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 when Chuck starts saying maybe Larry Garcia shouldn't be on the team and starts talking with Rick Hahn and asking him point blank and Hahn's talking about like, well, you know, uh, we, we really, we're not going to worry about the contract. That's a sunk cost. I, I think that they're just basically that, that means that's what the, the thought process is. Like, I'm going to be shocked if Larry's on the team now when this episode comes out based upon that. Like, I, I really believe that he's off and that's a good thing. You look, you take the best players, take the best players, take the players that the manager wants. That's the positive thing for me. If the manager gets the guys he wants, I'm happy. The biggest problem that we had over the last couple of years was that the, the manager wanted something that the organization didn't want. And there were, there were decisions that were being made in which it didn't, it didn't make good baseball sense. If this manager says, this is the style I want to play, these are the guys I want to have, and I can win with this group, I want the front office to trust him and give him who he wants. So, I mean, like, that's kind of how I look at it. I think Alberto goes. I think Billy Hamilton's going. Zavala's going to be there. I think they really like Jake Berger, and they and, and they they want to bring him with. I, I don't know if they're going to decide that they have the, the room for him, but Gavin Sheets is going. Like, I think Sheets, Zavala, Hanser Alberto, and Billy Hamilton are definitely on this. Now, watch this episode come out, and I sound like an idiot, but that, that's what I think right now on Sunday. Chris Lanuti, Socks in the Basement. Outstanding stuff as always. What do you got going on your podcast that you like to promote and for us to help you share what you are working on as opening day is here, 2023 White Sox on the horizon? We're just humming along, I would say. We're, we're, we're starting to get into <laughs> We're starting to get into video. Uh, we're hoping that the YouTube channel will be more than just just an audio file because we put that there to start with where the show pops up as an audio file. But we've been experimenting with a camera set up here at the nine foot homemade oak bar. We want to start letting people see what it looks like down here. Uh, so that's something that we're we're working on this year. We've been experimenting with that on one of the other shows on my network. I, I Some people know it, some don't, but I I run a podcast network. This is all I do. 
So the Sox show I do because I love the White Sox. The God's honest truth. I don't do a Bears show, and I, I I love the Bears, but I don't know enough football. James knows much more than I do. Okay, and and I uh, I, I I'm not really a Bulls fan. I go to Blackhawk games. My kid plays hockey, but like I don't think I could make a, a Blackhawk show. All the other shows that I do are more like localized podcasts. So I have one that just does Evergreen Park, Illinois, called the EP Podcast. Been around for five years, and and I have one called Southside Pod that goes all over the South suburbs and and the South Side of the city, and and, and like does restaurant reviews and stuff. And we've been experimenting with video on Southside Pod, and I'm starting to feel like I'm getting comfortable with it. So once I'm comfortable with it, I'm going to bring it in the socks in the basement. So that's the thing that I, that's what's on the horizon for us is that we want to start bringing more content to the listeners other than just the show twice a week. So that's kind of what my big goal is. And, you know, we're, we're letting some people like, you know, get attached to the site. Dave Marin, who's uh, goes by the socks nerd, who also puts all the trivia and the stuff up on the scoreboard has started writing uh, and using his blog, his blogs now over on our site. And, uh, you know, so there's a link to it there. You can check out all of his weird stats and his deep dives and stuff like that. My partner Ed is starting to write again. We're just trying to bring a little more content to go along with the show. And, and at some point this summer, I still have to sit down and figure out exactly what day it is. We're going to hit our 500th episode. So uh, I think we'll have a celebration. I know that uh, we've already talked to Cork and Carrie at the park about that. And I think we'll probably do a live show that day once I figure out exactly what day it falls on. I keep seeing the number getting closer. And I'm like, this is probably happening at some point in June or July. I really should figure it out. That's terrific, man. Congratulations and best of luck. All the success to you and continued good health. Thanks so much for jumping on today with us. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. That's Chris Lanuti. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Lanuti. James Fox also alongside us. Follow him at James Fox 917. I'm at Rankin906 on Twitter. Also go to SoxMachine.com. Sign up to become a patron. It really helps us continue to do this each and every day. For James Fox, for Chris Lanuti, my name is Mike Rankin. We release episodes every Tuesday. We will talk to you next week.